I start to enjoy it. I start thinking about, okay, not only am I just going to write PhD, but I should actually mm, write it well enough that I can publish something out of it. That's my dunya. So what is dunya then? So dunya has nothing to do with that money, necessarily. Dunya is anything that attracts you to such an extent that it makes you forget akhirah. It makes you do something for it instead of doing something for akhirah. To give you my own example, there can be many ways of writing that could be a benefit to the ummah. And there's one way of writing that is of interest to these people. There's different ways of writing. Very rare, you could pull off both. It's possible. One work could actually accomplish both tasks. But if I find myself sucked into writing something to address these people or engage these people, even to refute them, even to educate them, elaborate the Islamic tradition to them, but I'm writing it for them, that's dunya. Because it took me away from something that could have been used for my akhirah. This is dunya. It's the wrong legacy. It's the wrong idea to have. It's the wrong intention to have. So it doesn't it doesn't have to be something haram, doesn't have to be something material. Anything that distracts a person from akhirah. In Quran Karim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more often, especially in the early Makkan surahs, used to contrast akhirah with the word ula, as opposed to dunya. Ula and akhirah, as opposed to dunya and akhirah. And those of you who know the Arabic, you can see that akhirah, hereafter, afterlife, also is related to this word akhir, which means the last or the final. Ula means first, right? So in one sense, this is our first life, and akhirah is our next and last and final life. So the figure we should have is always what are we doing for akhirah. And this is a cure for a lot of problems a lot of people have. Because many times people want deen to help them in dunya, whereas the real value of deen is how it's going to help you in akhirah. And many times people, and still, we still get emails and messages like that, people think that the role of deen or tazkiyah or tasawuf is somehow to find a way that the deen can help them in their dunya, in what the sadness of their dunya, the loneliness of their dunya, the depression caused dunya, some anxiety due to the dunya, some magic that has been done upon them in the dunya, some family feud that is happening to them in the dunya. And deen should somehow, and maybe they think sheikh or tasawuf will do that for them, should help them in dunya. Alright? The primary role of deen and the impact of deen is to help us in akhirah. The more we use our deen, the more we view our deen, the more we perceive our deen to be something for the akhirah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who can help us in dunya. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does help believers in dunya. And sometimes some believers don't even need deen and tasawuf. They actually need some type of psychological or therapy or counseling to help them with some of their issues. But none of that has to do with the akhirah. None of that has to do with the akhirah. So, once we remember that our deen is for akhirah, then in fact our life is for Akhir. Then you understand what your real legacy is. I want to explain, there are some specific points I want to make, I'm just giving you a bit of a background. Alright? So the hadith was child. some relief, humanitarian, charity that benefits, some knowledge that is beneficial. 
And generally in many a hadith and many ayat of Quran, Allah SWT talks about us focusing on our akhir. Now I'm going to tell you some practical things. That if you don't understand or practice these parts of deen, just making zikr of Allah SWT or listening to Bayan or listening to Majlis or listening to those interesting things like I gave you last time, theory I told you of the sawwuf, it won't be enough. So first let me start with children. Now, no doubt, I've told you this before also, many Muslims in the past also felt this way. No problem. Even if they turned out to be wrong, it helped them to feel that way, and that was that they were living in Kurbi Qiyamah, in the time close, the time of proximity to the end of time. So no doubt we can say, okay, but we've been Ummah and the world has been around for 300 years, 500 years, 700 years. But them thinking that helped them, I would argue them thinking that is Sunnah. Because Nabi Yaqareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, although he knew from Allah Subhanahu Wa perfectly guiding him, that Qiyamah would not come in his lifetime. But sometimes even when huge clouds or rain or whatever you want to call inclement weather would appear, he would remember Qiyamah. And he held up his two fingers once to Sahaba Karam and said, my time and the end of time are like this. And he held the two fingers together. So in that sense, it's already been 1400 years. But even Sayyidina Rasulullah, he felt the imminence of the end. Why? Because he's so focused on Akhirah. So focused on Akhirah. That you feel you're near the end when your whole life and your whole heart and your whole being is focused on the end. So it's actually from the Sunnah. And that is why, yes, many of the Salihin, Muttaqeen, pious believers throughout every century of Islamic history used to talk like this when they would see horrific things happening in the Ummah, outside the Ummah, that we are in the age of war. Now, the reason I'm saying this to you, now let me bring this together with the first point, our children. We have to raise our children with this mindset. It is not paranoia. It has nothing to do whether the job will come in your lifetime or will come 1,000 years later. The point is, is that the children should be raised in such a way that you prepare them for any eventuality. That's what the world says. Raise your child in such a way that they are ready and prepared to face the challenges in the world. Hmm? Raise your child in such a way that they can take on anything. Hmm? So we should think, what if? What if when my young boy is only 25 years old, the child comes? I'm not saying it anyway, and I keep repeating this over and over again. I'm not in any way saying it's going to happen in 25 years. But that's our job to raise our children like that. What if my child dies when he's 25? And not through some way where he gets considered having shahada. He just dies. A natural death. This is also myth, no doubt. And there was one alam of deen, I can't remember, it was 70 or 80, I can't remember. He gathered all the hadith of Nabi Akareem sallam on this topic of one is the real shaheed, right? Who gives his life peace of Allah. And another is a person who dies in such a situation like accident, earthquake, etc., childbirth, who Allah SWT gives them the darajah, what we call shahadat hukmi as opposed to shahadat hakiki, right? So whatever they were, 60, 70, 80, I can't remember them. 
right? No, it's not necessary. Don't take that so far. That everybody who dies when they're 25, oh, maybe because they died of a fever, they died because of a brain aneurysm, they must necessarily have shams. No, no, no. There are many people who will die at the age of 25, and they will not be given the rank of the shohada, and they will be judged according to their young life. Yeah. <coughs> they will be judged. Allah Ta'ala will make a decision about them on the day of judgment. Are they going to go to Jannah? Or they're going to go to Jannah based on whatever life they lived from the time they were Balak to the age that they were 25. That's it. Are we raising our children like that? We have to raise our children for the sake of Allah. Not just our, our, I don't mean just my, for me and my children. This entire Ummah, the entire community of England. The amount of fikr we have to put in our children is phenomenal. Is phenomenal. Because that was the first part of the hadith. That's the first legacy. That's the first legacy. And whether, whether that means you have to make institutions, whether that means whatever that means, that's not the topic for today. But the fikr for that, the concern for that. Right? We have, you know, so many people. This is more so for the people in Pakistan. But so many people ask me this question repeatedly. I had another one today. Repeatedly, over and over and over and over again. At the Islamic schools, the level of education is not as good as the regular schools. What should I do? That's a discussion. But I'm talking about, look at the amount of thicker that this person has. That the child's English should be slightly better. It's not actually such a big difference. The amount of thicker for that incremental proficiency in the English language. Is there a corresponding amount and level of thicker for incremental, increment in Jannah for my child. Is that same figure there? Hmm? Maybe the math, maybe this, maybe that. Hmm? Whereas the world will actually tell you there's so many stories of so many. You know, it's not the majority, but it's not that rare either. Of people who did not actually get the best education, schooling outwardly, but they turn out to be very intelligent and accomplished and educated people in their life. I've met many people like that in my own finite, limited lifetime. I've met many people like that. Right? But the figure, the figure is a bit misplaced. Hmm? We don't have enough figure about the akhir of our children. And it goes much beyond just finding them a good quality or letting them learn to read. That's just the beginning. That's basic. That's like first grade. Right? So to have this fikr for the children is part of our fikr for akhirah. It's part of our legacy. It's, it's the real future. And until we start thinking about the real future, you will get sucked in and thinking about the false and fake future, the delusional future that the dunya wants you to think about. And I will tell you personally, and I keep repeating this to you people, Whatever Allah wants, things might just get worse, you know, things might get better after Allah. Allah But we can only look at 20 years before and based on what we think is going to happen in the next 20 years. Because 20 years before I went to school, I, I was in, well, okay, I was at university. What I see over here now and what I saw 20 years ago is a big difference. And it would have been much easier, and I thank Allah and I'm not an undergraduate now. Because it's much more difficult now, much more difficult to be a pious believer than it was 20 years ago. 
but I can just look at my own lifetime. It is much, much more difficult. And those of us who Allah SWT has blessed and guided us with deen, I don't think we realize. You know, many times that makes it even more difficult for the children. It's easier for those like us or some of you who are like me, maybe we weren't raised on deen or raised in deen. It's actually harder. It's actually harder for the children who are raised with parents or an environment of deen because they take the deen for granted. It's a much more dangerous situation. We have so many cases of that as well. And this doesn't start when the children are 5 or 7 or 9 or 10. The real problem starts when the children are 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. The real critical, from 15 to 22 you can say, is the absolute critical period. And a lot of us, we're not just not prepared for it, we're not thinking about it. And as a community, yes, you have to figure out some way, whether it's a proper high school or a proper system, but it's a very real danger. We might, despite that Allah Sponta gave us deen, even sometimes we get caught up in our own little deen circuit. You know? It's almost a luxury, you know, at this very moment I'm sitting and talking to all of you. This is a luxury. At this very moment, there are thousands of Muslims who are walking around homeless. There are thousands of Muslims who are cowering under shelters, worried about bombs. Thousands of Muslims who are walking around starving, literally starving out of hunger. So sometimes, you know, we have this little elite, you can call Dilbandi, Sufi, it doesn't matter what it is, because it's not just, it's not confined to just Dilbandis and Sufis, right? There are all these little elite pockets of Dini circles, and we meet one another, and we sit with each other, right? And we have, and Allah, Allah Prabhu blessed us, and we have to sugar for his netmas, and we don't want to deny and reject or be so hard on ourselves, due to the bounties and graces that Svantal gave to us, but always remember that nobody's life will go untested. Right? You know, if I was a person, obviously, if I was a refugee, I would probably not be able to think like that. But if I could imagine myself being a refugee, I would take one consolation, that at least the test is known. This is my test that I'm homeless, this is my test that I'm wandering, this is my test that I'm a refugee. And me in my current state, I don't know what the test is going to be. Because it's not going to be in food, it's apparently not going to be in shelter, it's not going to be in money. Outwardly you have deen, inwardly you have some deen. I don't know what the test is going to be. Hmm? No one's life will go untested. What if the test comes from my children? Hmm? I'd be shaking. Hmm? What if the test comes from my children? What if one of my many children, well that's how I was living in this country, one of my many children, it's a little bit too affected by their environment. Hmm? I have met progeny of great ulama in Pakistan. Allah Ta'ala's grandson. I met him. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> he plays guitar. <laughs> I'm not taking his name in front of you, so you won't know which one he is. Completely gone. Allah <laughs> Ta'ala. We don't have, you know, whatever sometimes, you know, I used to think this about myself. This is why, you know, this year, when I first came to you people in England in 2010, I was very relaxed. So this year, I really feel absence from my children, partly because my children are older also. And obviously, children are older, they need a father. But I know many, many ulama, mashaykh who are far more pious than I would ever hope or aspire to be. 
whose children or grandchildren have strayed far from the path. Right? Allah Akbar. So our children and the akhirah of our children has to be an immense figure for us. Right? And again, it goes beyond just their tawid or their spoken Arabic. It's their taqwa, their haya, their sunnah. Their taqwa, their haya, their sunnah. And it's not easy. And I cannot give you a practical manual for this. I wish it was that easy. Hmm? It's not easy. It takes a lot of fikr. And that's why Nabi Karim mentioned this. That's a legacy. Because even the dunya, worldly materialistic people will tell you that if you want to leave a worldly legacy, it's going to be one of the biggest accomplishments in your life. It's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of concern. So imagine if you want to leave a spiritual dini legacy. How It's a huge, it's a mammoth effort. It's a mammoth effort. So, and I know this is going to sound very cliche, but our children are our future. I'm not saying the future of Doma, they are the future, I'm saying they are our future. Our future is our children. And a lot of us, we've already messed it up ourselves. Hmm? And some of us, maybe our only hope is our children. Right? What do I mean by fikr? Let me explain. Alright? Maybe you're not still understanding. Because obviously when I talk about it at the moment, right now sitting in front of you, all of you are having fikr for children. But the question is, ask yourself. Don't ask yourself, oh, alhamdulillah, I'm having it now, listening to him talk. No, ask yourself in the last four months, how many times have I shed tears to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala worried about my children? You might feel it right now and I'm talking to you. That's a motivational talk. Who doesn't get motivated by motivational speeches? The question in the last four months, when did I cry? When did I shiver? When was I scared for my children? Okay, maybe if I'm young, I don't have children. When was I scared for somebody else's children? When was the last time I saw a 12-year-old Muslim guy in the store? Or I saw a young Muslim girl in the store and I got scared for her. When was the last time I felt that fear? That's called fikr. That's called fikr. Here, hmm? I ended up being heavy. Anyway, huh? Okay, this much I did at least do the first feedback that don't always talk about amal and zikr. Right? Second feedback I couldn't do. Uh, don't be heavy. Lord, man. It's a very real figure. I'm sharing this with you because I said, okay, I, I can only talk to you about what's on my heart and my mind, so I guess I'm a heavy guy. Hmm? So yes, there's some other things that often wear in my heart and mind, so this is a very personal I'm sharing with my own children. And all of your children also. When I see your children, I'm worried for them. I'm worried for us. You know? And this is not, it's not negative. You can remain positive, remain hopeful, remain optimistic if you worry more. You see, the road to optimism is to figure in our being. It's very different. Every, you have to think everything in this world is diametrically opposite to being. In dunya, if you worry, it leads to pessimism, bleak outlook, depression. In being, if you have what we call thicker, real worry and concern, that's the only thing that makes you hopeful. That's the only thing that makes you optimistic. Like we have for ourselves. That's what Saluk tries to teach a person also, right? Have a lot of thicker for your zikr. Have a lot of thicker for your amal. 
Be disturbed if you don't pray tajjud. Be disturbed if you don't recite Quran. Be disturbed if you don't have feelings in salah. Be disturbed if you don't have feelings in dua. And then you say, okay, now, and when you get that fikr, you feel good. You say, yes, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on my salah. It's disturbing me that I don't have feelings. I'm trying to focus. I'm trying to concentration. Those are what we call good days. And alhamdulillah, I tried. I really tried today to focus on my muhakabah. I tried today to feel my dua. Make you, it makes the outcome of that is positive. Outcome of that is positive, hopeful optimism. It's the same thing when we have thicker for our children. There's no negativity. There's no negativity. I mean, sitting with them more, talking with them more, listening to them more. More on deen, on sira, on tafsir, right? How many, and there have been not that many in front, but from those who are listening, how many of us learn so many things in tafsir or tafsir academy or Quran program or local ulama circles and how much of that do we share with children? Hmm? We love it when we hear an edifying bihan or an interesting nukta or means a point, an you know, illustrative point about tafsir or hadith but we're not transmitting it on. So one great fear has to be our children. And great worry and concern and fikr has to be our children. And, for, and that's really something I've said before, trying to make our children awliya, muttaqeen, salihin. Right? And begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. And crying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. And when you have this as a fikr, this will also be something that brings a person, and let me now bring in the second point, zuhud, zuhud means to trim away all of the what Allah Ta'ala Quran calls love what is called fuzul, extraneous, superfluous, pointless dunya why? because you're so focused on akhirah when it grips your heart this figure for children you don't have time for news, sports, fashion, technology, surfing, etc you don't have time for that shopping extraneous such things. You won't have time. Because you'll be so worried. Hmm? You'll have focus and purpose. And if you don't have this focus and purpose, you will find time for all of the above. Find time for all of the above. Somebody might be cars, somebody might be fashion, somebody might be shopping, somebody could be news, somebody could be politics, somebody is current affairs. For some people it's haram things like TV, music, movies, etc. Hmm? Some people's magazines, for some people it can be literature, it can be novels. There's a whole list of things out there, right? You have to view everything as a cost, right? Every time, every moment I spend surfing that, reading that, being entertained by that, learning that, analyzing that, discussing that, all of that could have gone to my children. All of that could have gone to my children. Hmm? Like I told you, it's getting worse. The stuff that people write me in 2017 is worse than what they used to write me in 2007, which was even, that was worse than what they used to write us in 2002. Hmm? So, and the reason my small data is relevant to you, you're part of the sample. You're part of the sampling group. My data 100% corresponds to you because you are the life type people. <laughs> yeah. Nice <laughs> one then.
Second. Second is knowledge that benefits. Right? It doesn't necessarily mean that to become an alim or alama. But really knowledge of deen is what saves a person. Our hifazat is in our ilm. It doesn't mean that there are a lot of people that their knowledge isn't saving them. That's because there's some problems there. There are issues there. There are sins there. That's a separate thing. Right? But knowledge, if you have other of it, if you value it, it saves you. And if you have qadr of knowledge, but you don't have the knowledge itself, or you have the knowledge, but you don't have qadr of it, either of these two situations, it won't be enough to save you. But if you have the ilm and you have qadr of the ilm, then it can benefit you and can benefit others. Now, ilm here doesn't have to be Arabic and high-level fiqh and usul and all of that. Ilm really for an ordinary person, the basic thing, and this is, you know, inshallah, I mean, what we've uh, personally planned is, you know, because I've lost my ability to multitask, like we tell you, so this one year I have to focus intensely on the PhD. Immediately after the PhD, I'm going to spend one year focusing intensely on designing a system of ilm for Salakin. This won't make you an alam. It will keep you jahil on fiqh and usul and ilm al-mustalah and ilm al-kalam and many, many things. But will somehow give you the ilm of tafsir, hadith and seer that you need to save yourself and save your children. And sometimes it's amazing how much basic core teachings of Quran and Hadith and Sirah, how much of that we don't know. You know? Because we don't know, we can't be guided by it. We can't be saved by it. We can't be saved by it. So you have to find a way to get the knowledge of reading Islamic books or listening to Islamic lectures or meeting and sitting with local ulama or taking some online courses and I, I, I don't restrict you to any particular way any way that you can get the knowledge that will save you and you can value that knowledge you should get it it's a critical need for you it's very hard to try to think that we can save ourselves and save our children and focus on our akhirah without the knowledge required to do so you will find in dunya even, there's very little you can accomplish with dunya without the know-how to do it. Nothing. Before Uthman came to pick me up, uh, across from me there's a fellow from Singapore. So he invited another one of his Asian, I think Allah and Singaporean friends. So the two of them were cooking up a storm in the kitchen today. Ajeeba Ghareeb, you know, what they were cooking. So he's sitting there with the... Uh, I went in the kitchen, I walked into the two of them, and they had their laptop open, and they had the recipe on the internet, and they were both guiding one another with the recipe and achieve gharib, and they were in there for hours, hours, literally hours. Right? And me, I, you know, just by a few minutes in there, you know, the smell, and I, I, I because after years, I, you know, the last time I was in Oxford, the roommate was Syrian, so I didn't have any issue. I don't even want these guys cook, I don't even want the smell in me, because I'm food. I had to come back and take a shower right before you came and changed my clothes because I don't even want the smell of that stuff on me. You know? So he was on there for hours. You can't even make a simple meal without the knowledge. Hmm? One meal to offer students to so many thousand people, they can't pull it off without the knowledge. Hmm? 
mean you want to pull off akhirah without the knowledge of evil. Hmm? You want to pull off yom al-qiyamah without the knowledge of kitab, kitabullah, hmm? without the knowledge of the sunnah and seerah of Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa Possible. It's foolish. No doubt Allah Ta'ala may send his rahmah. You'll be amazed. A lot of sins in our book of deeds. There are a lot of sins that mean you do even though we knew we shouldn't have done. That's a separate topic. There are actually things that if you had known better maybe we wouldn't have done. The only reason we did that was simply because we didn't know any better. If we had known we would have done it differently. Alhamdulillah, there's a good in us also. If we had known, we would have done it differently. But we didn't know. <laughs> we didn't bother to know. As time progresses, guaranteed we become more distant from the time of Nabi Akram, more closer to the time of the job. That's guaranteed. We're definitely getting closer to the time of the job. Today is closer than we were yesterday. When you're 50, you'll be closer than you were today. Your children, when they are your current age, let's say you are 37, and you have a child who is 7 years old. When your child is your age today, when your child is 37, they'll be 30 years closer to the time of the child than you are now. That's enough for you to understand that. It'll be worse. It'll be more difficult. It'll be worse. It'll be more difficult. And the third thing was charity. Now, charity, there are two basic types of charity. One was, and this is the more original charity, was charity given to remove or lessen, at least first lessen and ultimately remove poverty, eradicate poverty. Then there came a second type of charity, and that was charity to help the oppressed. Different type of charity. You can call it relief work, humanitarian work, charity for the Muslim. It's a different type of charity. Now, in the time of Nabiya Kareem, Sallallahu in his lifetime, that charity existed. Especially in the early period. Especially in the Makkan period, yani when the Kuffar were doing a lot of zulm, a lot of Sahaba Ikram. But in the time of the Sahaba in Tabin and Tabai Tabin, which began the time of age of Fat, or you can say conquest or victory or triumph of Islam as a deen and then as a civilization. We had less of that charity. Right? In this day and age we have both. There's millions of Muslims who live in extreme poverty and there are millions of Muslims who are extremely severely oppressed and depressed. Lord, millions. Not thousands, millions. Extreme, not moderate, extreme. Hmm? So yes, it's very important then for those of us who want to spot the blessed, even not look at your comfort relative to their extreme. Don't look at your comfort relative to the rich people in the West. Look at whatever Allah SWT gave you in relation to the extreme poverty or the extreme zulm that is being done on millions of Muslims you will feel that I have every comfort in the world. I'm five star. Allah has given me every luxury, every comfort. Right? 
So then we have to become a person of charity. Again, there are many ways to do this. Today is not about the practical ways. And you should, again, you should know enough knowledge or have enough connection with enough ulama to know how to do these basic things. Children, knowledge, and charity. These are the three things that Nabi Yakarim Sallallahu taught us is our legacy, is our future, is our legacy. Second topic was our future. Our future is our akhirah. So for your own self, because these things were extraneous, right? Children and charity is also for others and knowledge to leave behind for others. For our own self, we have to focus more on our akhirah. Think more about your akhirah. You will think less about your dunya. Worry more about your akhirah. You will worry less about your dunya. Your dunya might be very worrisome. It might be ajeeb, ghareeb, weird, strange problems that you're facing. Accept all of them. One way, okay, one way to make the dunya less worrisome is for me to somehow find a way to remove your worries. Hmm? There's another way. And that is to focus you on a bigger worry. Hmm? The more worried and concerned, more fikr you have for Akhara, the less worried you worrisome than you will make you. Hmm? You have bigger worry to worry about. A much bigger worry to worry about. And if you do well on that, and if you feel that you're doing well for your Akhara, then this smaller worry of dunya will be much less to you. Hmm? There's another problem. We get overly focused on our worries of dunya. We zoom in on our worries from dunya because we have this delusion. We think somehow, maybe we think, like I told you, deen somehow will help us in this. We think somehow that our dunya should be worry-free. And therefore, because we think that the dunya should be worry-free, whenever there's a worry, we, we try to fix it. I think, no, that we make this our very first thing. It's like clothing. Like clothing, clothing and in their credit, the clothing should be clean. So as soon as there's a stain, immediately, forget what you're doing, and you focus on stain removal. Dunya is not like that. Nobody's dunya will always be worry-free. Not anbiya, not sahaba, not awliya. So who are near you? Right? And Allah found out not just one place, in multiple places in Qur'an. Makki, Madani, both. Allah found out said, you will have worries in dunya because I, Allah, will send the money. <laughs> Allah, look at here. <laughs> oh, hmm? That's a different way of understanding. So actually not Dunya sent worries, the Allah sent worries. Allah Ta'ala was an imtihan, iktila, even fitna. Test, trial, tribulation, discord, sedition. Allah SWT was sent all of that. Hmm? And there's no exception. Even deen will not make a person exempt from imtihan and iktila. Even their deen will not make them exempt. Yes, there is one world which should be worry-free. That's called Akhir. If you make it to Jannah, you'll be worry-free. There's one intermediate phase of your life which is called Yom Al-Qiyamah. 
It's in Akhara, but it's not Jannah, right? It's in the next life. Yom al You want Yom al to be worry-free. And the more fikr we have, let's just put it that way. Maybe easier way to put it is fikr for Qiyama. The more concerned we are that the Day of Judgment should not have any problems, the less you will feel the problems of this thing. That's your biggest individual motivation. And if again, if you were to look through your, your new your Quran, over and over, Allah SWT, Allah SWT, but this is, forget how a person can motivate you in a bayan or a madalas, look how Allah SWT motivates you in the Quran, Yom al so the motivation in our deen. The big motivation in our deen is that on the day of judgment, should we find and meet Allah SWT in such a way that He is pleased with you and you are pleased with Him. That's it. This is the greatest figure. So in your daily life, you have to think about these things. In a daily practical life, daily, right? So many things we do daily to do this, this, that. Every day to make sure the kids are fed. Every day to make sure the kids go to school. Every day to make sure the kids go to sleep. Every day we should spend quality time with husband and wife. All of that, that's all there. Every day I should have figure for him. Every day there should have been some one, not even some, I'll start with just one. One decision... One action, one decision, one intention, so one intention that I did differently when I remembered Kim. Something I changed, that I was, I was feeling something or thinking something or tending something or choosing something, deciding something or outright doing something, and then I remembered Kim, I remembered my Akhara and I changed it. I changed that thought, I changed that feeling, I changed that speech, I changed that tone, I changed that intention, I changed that plan, I changed that decision, I changed that action. Something I must have changed. And if at the end of the day, no, there's nothing. My whole, forget day, the past four months, there's nothing. There's no single thing I did. I did my deen. Don't get me wrong, I prayed five times a day. I did whatever the car sheikh told me to do. I listen to online class, hmm? but as far as me and my life, there's nothing I did differently because of Allah's fault. I did whatever I wanted to do, whatever I planned to do. It wasn't even once in the last four months that Akhara and Qiyama changed something in me and the way I did it. That's the problem. That's the problem. We're untouched by it means we're unfazed by it. We're unfazed by it. That's what they would see these things. Can you imagine how much bigger the Qiyamah a person has to have, like Sayyidina Ali, Allah Ta'ala, to be able to say, I, I, I see Jannah and Jannah in front of me. And to live a whole life like that. Hmm? So I'm saying, can we make at least one decision like that? Can we make one action based on that? Can we make one intention based on that? Hmm? Otherwise, it's very easy that we just compartmentalize our deen into whatever little deeny circuit and circle we have. 
yes, we can have our ups and downs there and judge ourselves just on that. Am I doing my zikr, doing my ilm, doing my dawah, doing my khidmah, not doing it, doing it. And that's my only session. And the whole rest of my life and being is entirely for dunya. I never even think about my qiyamah and my akhirah. Believe me, people who think about qiyamah and akhirah keeps you up at night. Not keeps you up at night in bed, it keeps you up. It's what makes people stand in front of Tajr was ultimately, this is what Allah SWT calls in. Tajr is a prayer. It can be a prayer of love. Ultimately a prayer of fear. If you don't really think about Qiyama and Akhirah, you never feel the need to pray Tajr. You don't feel the need. You might one day feel a passion because you're feeling some extra love for Allah SWT that day and that night. But you won't feel the need for it. Ula and Akhra that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala contrasted in the Quran. One meaning of that is the zahir of that is that the worldly life is our first life apparently to us. And the Akhra will be our next and last and final life. Another way though that Ula and Akhra has been contrasted is Allah subhanahu wa telling us about change. Ula was the way you were and Akhirah is the way you will be. And that's was very, and this is why in the Makkan Surahs, later on then this dunya comes, where dunya comes in the Makkan Surahs, it's mostly Ula Akhirah, Ula Akhirah. Why? Because Sahabah Ikram are all converts. Every Sahabah is a convert. And when they convert, it's a big change. And the way they were, for them, that was their Ula, that was their first life. And now the way they've become, their entire life is for Akhir. It's a big change. That change has to come in you and me. That change has to come in you and me. That's counting. That's what I mean by Shukr of Akhir. And until that change comes, we'll just continue plugging on as we are. Sometimes we do it well, sometimes we slip. Sometimes we pray all our salah for weeks on end. Sometimes we skip or miss the salah. Some days we're actually good in our ibadat and our amal. Some days we miss it. You can live years like that. You can live an entire life like that. An entire life can be lived so-so. An entire life of mediocrity on the if you really want to push yourself, if you really want to be motivated, or somebody says, I don't have that discipline anymore, I don't have that will and wish anymore, you just have to think about Akhra and Qiyama. It's a simple teaching. You don't need super fancy to solve and spook. You want to knock yourself into shape, you want to knock your senses back, start thinking, start reading those passages in the Quran, that's what I'm saying, Salatama, knowledge. You need to have your go-to places in Quran. You need to know that. You need to know this. So when I'm totally focused on dunya, or I'm totally apathetic, what's that surah, what's that passage, what are those ayat that I recite that just knock me into sense and make me remember and reflect about Qiyamah and Akhir? 
You don't do anything. Know that. Hmm? Take. Hmm? People know that about their dunya. You know. People know that when I'm tired with coffee, I should go drink. Hmm? They know. No, no, they know the boss calls in for a night shift which coffee to order at the Starbucks. They master that menu. They know. No, they're working double shift. It's, uh, what is it? Double. Espresso? Espresso. Espresso. Double espresso. Huh? And then, oh, it's a day off. It's, you know, peppermint tea. Huh? They know. They understand fully. They know the effect that different types of caffeinated beverages have on their body. They don't know the effect that different ayat and surahs have on their blue. Hmm? They don't know what to go to. Hmm? I know I feel down, so pick me up for somebody has chocolate, for somebody I love, and what it is. Hmm? They don't know which asmal husna to make dawah. Which name of Allah Taala will you call upon? Yes, so this is one thing I wanted to do for you. I want to train you in a new way of making dua. It requires a little bit of Arabic. Uh, yani a little bit of Arabic. Zawq, mezab, proficiency, a little bit. What you do is you take a du'a, it's enough, you'll be able to have it. So take a du'a, take Sayyidul Istikfar for example. Take Sayyidul Istikfar, take a du'a like that, mention the hadith of Nabi Yaqarim, Sallallahu First time you recite it, recite it as is. <coughs> recite it as is. Meaning just the very same exact Arabic words that Nabi Yaqarim, Sallallahu recited. Maybe, you know, recite it from sight reading, have the English in front of you. And then recite it a second time and add whatever you can to it. For example, if there's a part in the dua that says, Anta Rabbi, right? You start, Anta Rabbi, Wa Khaliki, Wa Maliki, whatever words you would know, Wa Ilahi. Oh, you can, it depends on your Arabic, right? Uh, just try to add as many words as you can. Hmm? Then if you ask Allah Ta'ala for Maghfirah, you say, Waqfirli, Ad, Warhamni, Watubu Alayya, whatever you can, Ad. Similar to that meaning. Requires a little bit of, a little bit of knowing, maybe even just knowing some words from other du'as, right? Whatever you can throw in there. Hmm? If you can even do it in Arabic, do it in English. Right? Do it in English if you want. So, Fa'ana, because actually in Sayyidul Sifar, you make the Dua I am on the promise and covenant I made with you. It's actually not correct because we sinned. It's achieved Dua of Nabi Karim Right? You can actually say that in English, I'm not. I want to be Allah Wa'dika. I want to be on the Ahad and the Wa'da. Meaning on the pact and covenant and promise and pledge that I made to you, but I'm not. Go take the English du'a, take the English translation du'a, add to it in English. Use the du'as of Nabi Karim system to talk to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Talk to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So three examples of du'as you can do this on. Something I explained.
probably not to the people in the UK, but I explained some time ago. To pray two salah, nafil, meaning two extra rakahs of salah. One is to pray two salah to toba, which is a separate thing. Then a biyakurim sunno samsan hadith, that if a person makes a sin and he makes wudu and he prays two rakahs salah, and he asks Allah to forgive him. You add to that, say the list far, which is what came in hadith that Nabi Akareem was on the most beloved dua to Allah Ta'ala in seeking forgiveness. Sayyid means the king, you can say, of ways to seek and supplicate Allah Ta'ala for forgiveness. And then do it in English and then add as much as you can to that dua. Not adding to the dua, like changing the hadith, I don't mean that. Talk to Allah Ta'ala more. Second is the dua that is mentioned today, and this is coupled with Salatul Hajj. It is a very short, Nabiya Kareem Sushim's dua is very short. It's just paragraph. You make it an essay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what people in the intense relationships, that's what it's like. You know, you see husband and wife having intense conversation, it's like an essay. Hmm? It's not a paragraph. Hmm? It's a long, I'm going to spill my heart out for you. But they say they talk, I've been holding this inside for so long. Huh? I've been holding it inside for so long, so now today I'm going to let it all out. Yeah, so they're listening, but if your wife ever says that to you, I've been holding it inside and I'm going to let it all out, it's going to be an essay. It's not going to be a paragraph. And if you ever say that to your wife, it should also be an essay and not be a paragraph. So actually, what is Dua to Allah SWT? Right? You think we just became a sinner right now? And everybody says, no, no, no. It's not like that. Well, I was a sinner long before the Salat al-Tawbah, Sayyidullah idea ever came to me. Long before I saw these words. I've been holding this sin for a long time. Now I'm going to let it all out. I needed you way before I heard of Salat al-Hajjah. Even I knew Salat al-Hajjah for a long time, but I never bothered to pray it. Allah I'm praying Salat al-Hajjah to you today, but I needed you for a long time. And today I'm going to let it all out. Salat al-Istikhara. Third, the dua that Nabiya Karim says, Allah I desperately need your hidayah. It's basically about hidayah. And to show Allah you need his hidayah on choices and decisions that you make. It's not something that just happened to you. It's not that you only need a Zedai because this is some, what you think is some big major decision. Allah SWT, I need your Zedai for a long time. And I'm going to let it all out. That's how you have to make dua to Allah SWT. Hmm? And fikr of Qiyamah and Akhirah. And fear of Jahannam. It's not just because I heard one talk or read one verse. Allah SWT, this fear has been with me for a long time. Hmm? A long time. I need to let it all out. I tell you to make dua to Allah SWT. And change your duas or heartfelt essays to Allah SWT. That dua will change you. And you make a dua like that to Allah SWT, changes you. Maybe some of you made it when you were on Hajj, on Umrah, or on odd nights of Ramadan, or at some point in your life. Hmm? You have to repeat that process. Keep repeating that process. Keep repeating that process. So try to make it part of your daily amal. That every day you pray two regards of some kind, any kind. 
there's so many kinds. Two rakats in Awafil, extra salah. And you make some kind of long du'a to Allah sponsor. So many, I gave you examples of three du'as. Once I gave an example of du'a of Taif and Bayan. So many, take a du'a, take du'as in the Quran. Even take a small du'a. Even a mini one, two line du'as from Quran. Right? And run with it. Take the last uh, ayat of Surah Baqarah. And make it into an essay. Hmm? Make it into an essay with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It might be a long time for some of us. Some of us might say, yeah, I didn't make that dua to Allah ta'ala for maybe a couple of years. Maybe I recited it in some salah, but outside salah, right? That was as tilawat, that might have been different. But actually saying that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Maybe I haven't said that for years. So that was one practical thing I wanted to tell you. Try to pray two rakahs salah with some longer essay of du'a. Second thing is that if you find it hard maintaining a regular practice of zikr, then one way, and this may work, so you just try this if it works for you, it works for you, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Right? But we have found recently that this has been working for some people. What I'm about to tell you. You alternate your adhkar. Alternate your adhkar. So I will explain. So one day, as an example, I'll just give you one way to alternate. So day one. Day one what you do is that you sit down and you focus on your lisani dhikr. So you sit down, you really, really, you do, you sit, you do three tasbis. One istighfar, <coughs> any hundred times istighfar, then hundred times tasbih, subhanallah wa bihamdi, subhanallah And third, salawat, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa barak wa sallam. Okay? So you sit down, this will take you maybe 15 to 20 minutes. You sit down properly, sit on your masala, it's better if you can't sit, then sit on a chair. Make it a proper act of ibadah with full focus. And then on that day, you don't actually do a proper seated maraqabah, but rather on that day, you focus on your wakuf, on your ability, your attempt to remember Allah all the time. You focus on your heart. All the time, try to remember Allah with your heart. The next day, day two, you alternate them these days. And day two, do the reverse. Day two means for 15-20 minutes, sit down and focus on... I'm going to explain to you why this has been working for some people. Sit down and focus and just do your about for 15-20 minutes. And then, throughout the day, make lisani zikr. Sometimes it's dikfar, sometimes subhanallah, maybe just subhanallah, sometimes dirshif salawat. Why? Because the person who is not yet been able to get istikama, daily istikama on any particular type of ibadah means they don't, they're not attached to it yet enough. Right? They're not fond of it enough to do it every day. They don't feel it enough to do it every day. So when you alternate, it becomes more of a how can we say? 
it becomes more of a mission. As opposed to, okay, this is something I try to do every day, but I'm not able to do every day. No, it's not something I don't do it every day, but I'm doing it today. You understand? I don't do this every day. It's not going to be your daily zikr now. It's not something you do every day. But I'm doing it today. So because I do it today, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it good. I'm going to do it well. Some of you may you have to maybe throw another thing, alternate things every three days, maybe it's allowed to put on. You may do something every three days, one day it's allowed for 20-30 minutes, one day it's only zikr for 20 minutes, one day it's zikr for 20 minutes. Try this. Those of you who are still struggling to do these things every day, right? Do it every other day, every few days, but the day you do it, you focus on Focus on I'll give you an example where some of you may have experienced this. Uh, if any of you have ever prayed Salatul Tasbih, so you don't pray that every day, Allah Mashallah, people don't normally pray that every day, right? But the day you decide to do it, so there's something, something makes you decide to do it, you make that niyyah. So because something made you want to do it, you felt like doing it, you made niyyah to do it, you normally try to do it well. You normally try to do it well. Alright? These are two practical things. Obviously we prefer, because it's better in our deen, the more you do it, the more regularly you do it, if you do it every day, it will benefit you every day. But if you can't do it every day, try. Set some other thing, once a week, twice a week, every other day. Set something, see. Inshallah you won't find that your heart is so ab- entirely empty of them that you can't do it at all. Right now you might not be doing it at all because you think you should do it every day and you're depressed because you don't do it every day. So you basically are in this all or nothing mode. Either you do it every day or because you couldn't do it every day, you don't do it at all. So those of you who are like that, who are like that, then set and don't do it every day. How much can you do it? See. How much, how frequently and how much and how long can you do it? Start with that. Start with that but rotate so that every day you do some of the amal, maybe every day you don't do all of them, but every day there should be something that you do. Right? And if you try this amal, those of you who are doing things every day, or inshallah for the future, those of you who start with this less than every day, let me mention that as well. Then the asal, again if you look in Quran, is to do things twice a day. To do nafil ibadah twice a day. Bukratan wa asilah. Bukratan wa asilah. So, let's take these two times. So, morning can be either tahajjud or for men uh, at the start of fajr, but not yet fajr jama'ah in that time. The Hanifis who pray fajr and jama'ah, you get, and you pray tahajjud, there's a lot of time between tahajjud and fajr salah. Third is after fajr salah up to and including a shot. So, three times, it's three slots you have. A fourth, I will even give the fourth. If you sleep after Fajr and wake up in the morning in the time of Chast, four slots you have for the morning slot. Tahajjud, Fajr, the time of Ishaq, and the time of Chast of Dhuha. For evening, same four. You have after Asr, after Maghrib, after Isha, or before you sleep. Four slots on each side. Those of you who want to try to, to do nafal ibadah twice a day, you don't have to do the same thing twice. I'm not saying doing rakabah twice a day. Do nafal ibadah twice a day. Maybe in the morning you do tasbih, 
maybe in the evening one you do Talawa, maybe in one you do Nafa, one you do Dua, then you want to pick one of these four slots for each of the time. That's the ultimate goal, is to try to make some type of Ibadah twice a day. That there are two times in 24 hours where you go beyond the Faraiz, Wajibat, and emphasize Sunnahs. That's the Asal Quranic way. Alright? Let's start with giving some level of amount of Nafim Alright? When you focus more, inshallah, Allah Ta'ala gave us tawfiq, all of us to do amal on this. When you focus more on Akhirah and Qiyamah, you'll find your dunya will, if nothing else, even if it doesn't come into balance, it comes into perspective. Sometimes that's more helpful. It comes into perspective. Why do I say this? Because when it comes into perspective, and even if you're succeeding in dunya, even if everything is going smooth in dunya, even if everything is going wonderful in dunya, even if you have no problems in dunya, even if you have no worries in dunya, you'll still have fikr for akhir. Because it's not so meaningful. You know? It's like I'll give you an example. If I have breakfast, if I, have a cup of, if I make a cup of tea and drink it, and that process went completely smooth, Right? So what? Hmm? How much solace can I take from that? Because there are much bigger things in my life than just making and drinking a cup of tea. Hmm? That's perspective. I realize that it's a small thing. Even if I pulled it off brilliantly, successfully, flawlessly, excellently, even if I savored and enjoyed every sip, it still doesn't have much worth and value for me. Because I, I put it in proper perspective. And if I were to tell you that everything in life is going terrible, but I made the cup of tea and drank the cup of tea wonderfully, and because I made it and drank it wonderfully, everything is just fine, you say, you're crazy. That's irrelevant. But now you understand the perspective of dunya relative to akhirah. So whether you spill the tea or you drink the tea perfectly is just drinking tea. So when you're focused on your akhirah, whatever you manage to do in the dunya, whether you do it brilliantly or whether you struggle or whether you slip or you fail, ultimately it's still just dunya. But as far as your deen and akhirah goes, if you mess that up, if you slip in that, if you slack in that, if you fall back in that, if you decline in that, if you <coughs> sin against Allah Ta'ala in that, if you betray Him in that, if you disloyal to Him in that, Allahu Akbar And all the excellence in dunya will never be able to compensate. Hmm? All the excellence in dunya will never be able to compensate. But we don't think like that. Hmm? Why do people miss Fajr? Because they stay up late at night. Why? Because they think that what they're doing is somehow worthwhile. Hmm? If they realize that whatever I'm doing at night, whatever it is, is 
absolutely useless if I end up missing Fajr. Then they would think differently. Hmm? Then they would finally become what is called quote unquote morning people. Allah hmm? Akbar. Ajeev, our deen is the ultimate morning people. We're pre-dawn. Tajjah <laughs> this? Pre-dawn. Hmm? The Western concept of morning is like 7 a.m. Right? But we don't. And you know what? When people miss Fajr Salah, check this about yourself. If you felt less bad about missing Fajr, do you thought you did something worthwhile at night? Hmm? That made you feel less bad? And you felt more bad when you missed Fajr when you really didn't do anything worthwhile at night? That shows you've lost all perspective. It has nothing to do with what you were doing or why you missed it. You should have felt equally bad both ways. You should have felt equally bad both ways. This is an example of the change that will happen inshallah when we have fikr for Akhirah and a fikr for Qiyamah. I just before I end want to go back on the topic of children right uh, and here I'm talking about all the children of the Ummah and I worry a lot about the children of the refugees and the children of the Muslimin and the Asirin you know because it's a very difficult world as it is Mm-hmm. When you have all the comforts and luxuries that mean you were gifted by Allah Right? I mean you can't imagine how difficult the world is without that stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and this is a beauty from Allah, mercy of Allah a beautiful mercy from Allah that sometimes if you have fikr for the ummah, Allah Subhanahu helps you with your own because the ummah is not ghair. Ummah is also your family. That's what Nabi Yaqub ultimately meant when he said in that hadith that when one part of it feels it, the other part feels it. Your Ummah is your family. The Ummah, the children of the Ummah are our children. The widows, that's our widow. It's our orphan. Hmm? It's our refugee, it's our homeless. You have to have figure for that. These things have to keep you awake a little bit. These things have to put you on the musallah. That's called fikr. Fikr is that which makes you stand on the musallah. Fikr is not that which makes you sit on the couch and sit to you and stare out the window. That's not fikr. In deen, fikr is that which makes you stand on the musallah. Fikr is not in the living room. It's on the drawing room. It's on the bed. It's not on the couch. It's not on the chair. In our deen, fikr is on the musallah. And that's the sunnah of Nabi Akrim, sallallahu All of his fikr was on the musallah. That's the type of, whether it's fikr for our akhirah, fikr for our qiyamah, fikr for the ummah, fikr for our children, fikr for children of the ummah, fikr that we don't have knowledge, fikr that we do amal on whatever knowledge we have. All, any and every fikr we talked about tonight or things we didn't talk about tonight, all of it is manifested on the Muslim. So one easy way to check whether I have fikr or not is how much am I on the Muslim. That's it. There's no way. There's no way 
somebody is not a Muslim, unless they have fiqh. No way. So sit on your Muslim, stand on your Muslim, spend time on your Muslim, on your prayer, in ibadah, in dua, in supplication, in munajat, in yearning, and longing for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Zikr, muraqabah is also just part of this fiqh. Dua, nawafan, part of this fiqh. Tilawat al Quran, lisani zikr, part of this fiqh. Keep us people of Akhirah. Dunya is very tempting, very attractive. Hmm? Those of you in the beginning, I told you how Dunya sneaks up on me. Dunya is very sneaky. Hmm? It can come in any guy. Dunya is willing to take on any disguise to get you. Hmm? Any disguise. To me, it comes in the disguise of academics. Hmm? I don't know what your dunya is, a demon. Huh? It will come to you wearing camouflage. It will come in a disguise. So that you think, oh, that's not dunya. Hmm? You just have to check. Is it akhirah? I'll give you one way to see through all the disguises. <coughs> is this akhirah? Is this going to benefit me in akhirah? If the answer is no, need this thing. I don't care what it is. It can be a noble pursuit, higher pursuit, whatever it is. If it's not going to benefit you in Akhirah and on Yomah, Qiyamah, it is doomed. That's it. Once you take that attitude, you have that perspective, the illusion will go away. Allah Ta'ala give us Tawfiq. Allah Ta'ala give us Hidayah. It's very difficult. But Alhamdulillah, you should do a lot of shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. It's only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This I told you last time also to make dua like that. I remember correctly. And whenever Allah ta'ala gives us tawfiq to do any ibadah, do a lot of shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We pray for your salah, make dua to Allah ta'ala. Only you may be perfect. It's out of your tawfiq, I pray for Out of your karam and fazl, I pray for Hmm? Yesterday when I left, was today or yesterday when I left the masjid, I made a lot of dua for those people who come for Fajr. I've never done that before. You know, again, I guess being in Pakistan, living in Pakistan, you feel Fajr is basic, right? Playing Fajr in Jamaa and the masjid is just a basic thing. You know, everybody should do it. How could you not do that? But it's true for Pakistan as well, you know. It's a great bounty and blessing from Allah subhanahu wa I mean, it's like a mercy. It's like a gathering of Allah Taala's mercy. It's a gathering of people whom Allah Taala has sent His extra special mercy that in a day and age like this they were still able to come to the masjid and offer Fajr Salah in Jama'ah. Hmm? That's how you have to feel it. You have to feel that level of shukr. Whenever Allah Taala gives us any tawfiq, you have a chance to lie, you send the truth, to sugar tells something, not that I'm an honest person, I'm a true. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I'm as big a liar as anybody could ever be. Don't think like that about yourself. No, no, I'm an honest, I'm a good, I'm a moral, morally upright person. Hmm? I've got good Islamic or English or British values. I'm nothing. I'm as big a liar, hypocrite as anybody else could be. 
Es alles fanta was karma mehr die mehr nicht sich anders sieht das Moment. Alles fanta was fasen an mir die mehr mit Schutz von. Allah's gaze of mercy is on me right now. Because there are many dishonest things I have done. Maybe I didn't I have other types of dishonesty. Maybe I've never had dishonesty of speech. I've had the dishonesty to miss Fajr. I've had the dishonesty to misdirect my gaze at the screen. I've had the dishonesty of this and that. There are all types of dishonesties. Mm-hmm. And if you're a man, and Allah Ta'ala bless you with the Sunnah of Nabi Kareem, Sunnah of Sunnah, and I mentioned to you this also last time, you do a lot of shukr on the Swantana. Hmm? Allah, on this face, hmm? on this face, on this very same face where you put the sunnah beard is the same face which has eyes that have seen sin, the same face that has a tongue that has spoken sin, on that same face <laughs> that has mind that has so many thoughts of sin, on that same face. <laughs> If the chapter of my book of deeds and my face was to be opened of the sins of my mind and the sins of my eyes and the sins of my tongue and the sins of my lip with a record like that, Allah you still give me tawfiq to have the sunnah of Nabiya You still, if I was a woman, you gave me tawfiq to cover myself? Hmm? You gave me tawfiq with that same face? Allah Akbar Kabira. Do shukr to Allah SWT when you look in the mirror. Hmm? Najeeb, what does Allah Ta'ala make the world see? Allah Ta'ala makes the world see the piety, the outward manifestation of piety in the face. Allah Ta'ala hides the sinful thoughts that were in that face and the sinful visions that have been in that face and the sinful words that have come from that face. He hides all of that and the only thing that people see is the sunnah or the fard hijab. Hmm? So remember, who am I? Hmm? Is it my beard? Is it is it my salah? No, I'm nothing unless Allah. <laughs> I'm nothing, and you know what I am, and I know what I am. Hmm? You know what I am, and I know what I am. Is your karam and fazal Allah and I need more, and I want more. Hmm? I need more, and I want more. Talk to Allah SWT. Hmm? I need more, I want more. Then you will feel this fikr of Akhah. And Allah give us fuzzle and coming from his tawfiq and his rahmah. May he give us tawfiq to do amal on what we say and what we hear and what we share and what we learn and what we transmit. Alhamdulillah. <coughs> For a few moments, make me rock Close your eyes and bow your head. Make yourself in the world. Make me that I want to remember Allah from my heart. I want to remember Allah with my feelings. I want to remember Allah with my soul. I want to remember Allah in my inner self. I want to remember Allah from that place where I've forgotten Him. I want to remember Allah in the deepest way. Ya Rabbi, make me that I'm making zikr of your ism azam, ism jalala, Allah. The name with which you are known, the name with which you which you revealed, the name with which you are called upon, the name with which the Mu'azzin calls me to pray Salah, 
the name with which everyone takes Shahada recites Salima, the name with which Nabi Akareem Sallallahu knew you and called upon you. I take this name in the depth of my heart and the core of my being. I make near that my spiritual heart, my qalb, is making zikr of your name as if my qalb is calling Allah, Allah, Allah.
Rabbil Alameen. Rabbil Alameen. Increase each and every one of us in our knowledge of Quran Kareem, our knowledge of the Seed of Nabi Kareem, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, our knowledge of the Sunnah. Let us become, let us recall that knowledge. Let us be reminded by that knowledge. Let us be guided by that knowledge. Let us be mindful of that knowledge. Ya Rabbi Kareem, increase us in our ibadat, our fara'i wajibat, increase us in our sunan mustahabbat, increase us in all of our good amal, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabbi Kareem, increase the zikr of the tongue, the zikr of the heart, the zikr of the mind, the zikr of the ruh, the zikr of the eyes, the zikr of the body. Ya Rabbi protect us from every ghafla, every love, every fuzuh, Ya Rabbi. Grant us true zuhud, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Grant us true zuhud, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Protect us from the dunya in all of its shapes and forms, in all of its guises and manners. Make us truly from the people of deen, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, we ask that you give us more sabr to bear the worries of this world. Give us more shukr to be grateful for the bounties of this world. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us from the sabirin, shakirin, zakirin, mu'mineen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we make love for all of those who are here, all of who are listening. Ya Rabbi Kareem, answer their hearts so please. Remove their sorrows and worries. Grant us the sorrow and worry. Grant us the worry of Akhirah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, grant us the delights of Akhirah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, grant us the worry and fikr and concern for deen. Grant us to enjoy our deen. Grant us feelings in our ibadah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, grant us focus in our ibadah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make our ibadah affect our lives. Make our ibadah affect our character. Make our ibadah affect our actions. Make our ibadah affect our relations. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let there be no aspect of our heart and our life that is untouched by deen, ungoverned by deen. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya we make dua for all of the Ummah, Ya Rabb, the Muslimin of the Ummah, the Mutasirin of the Ummah, the oppressed and persecuted of the Ummah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, send your special hidayah on them. Raise from this Ummah, Ya Rabb, those who will do rad of the Zalimin, those who will repudiate and retaliate and push back the oppressors. Ya Rabbi Kareem, raise from this Ummah, those, Ya Rabb, who eradicate poverty. Raise from this Ummah once again those who have concern for the poor and the weak, concern for the needy and downtrodden, concern for the widow and the orphan, let us do shukr of all the bounties and blessings that you have given us, let us do qadr, ya Rabb, protect us from all israf, all waste, Ya Rabbi Kareem, protect us from all oversleeping, all overeating, all overinteracting. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make every day and night precious in our life. Ya Rabbi Kareem, forgive us for every sin that we ever did. Forgive us for the sins that we took lightly. Forgive us for the sins that we took seriously. Forgive us for the sins that we repeated. Forgive us for the sins that we have fallen back into. Ya Rabbi Kareem, so many times you rescued us from sin, only for our naf to return us to it. Have mercy on us, Ya Allah. Grant us the life of Hayah, grant us the life of Salah, grant us the life of Zikr, grant us the life of Tawbah, grant us the life of Taqwa, Ya Rabbi Kareem. And I put Barak in our homes, Barak in our time, Barak in our risk, Barak in our decisions, Barak in our actions, Barak in our families, Barak in our relations. Protect us from all of the fitness of the time. Protect us from the facade and fisk and fudur of the time. Mm-hmm. I ask that you answer and honor and listen to all the heartfelt pleas and du'as, the unmentioned du'as, the silent du'as. Accept any and every du'a that we have ever made, Ya Rabbi. Make it a treasure for us on the day of Qiyamah. Make it a means of our mission into Jannah, Ya Rabbi. Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta sami'ul
فتنب علينا إنك أنت التواب الحكيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا رحمة الله